You're listening to World Class from the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford University. We bring international expertise from Stanford's campus straight to you. Are Medicare prices fair? Where do they come from and why should I care? In today's episode, health economists Jay Bhattacharya and David Chan talk about how Medicare costs are set, how they influence the private sector, and whether prices favor specialists. This episode originally aired live through the Stanford Institute for Economic Policy Research. Hi, welcome. This is, uh, I'm Jay Bhattacharya, professor of medicine here at Stanford uh, University, and I'm here with David Chan, who's also a professor of medicine here at Stanford. Uh, David is has a MD and a PhD in economics. Which, As does you, Jay. Well, I mean, okay, fine. <laughs> um, we're here today to, to talk about some, some very interesting new research that David has done on Medicare. And I wanted to just take this opportunity just to learn a little bit about the Medicare program in addition to letting David tell us about his work. Mm -hmm. uh, so David, what, what is Medicare? So Medicare is the federal insurance program mostly for the elderly. It's a large part of the federal budget uh, and uh, pays for hospitals, physicians, drugs, uh, and um, altogether billions of dollars per year spent on Medicare. Can I get in on this? Well, are you over 65, Jay? Oh, no, not yet. Okay. So I have to be, <laughs> old, I have to be over 65. Okay. So, yeah. and it, you say it covers doctors and and hospital visits. Correct. So if I go to a doctor and and tell them, I, Doc, I need my gallbladder out, they, the, the, they'll pay the doctor for doing that? Correct. Well, so Medicare uh, works uh, like most insurance. Uh, traditional Medicare works like fee-for-service. So everything that the doctor does... Uh, gets paid for by Medicare on a fee-for-service basis, which means they ask, what did you do? Well, you took out my gallbladder, and how much am I going to pay you for that? I see. So so the, the doc sends Medicare a bill, like somewhere in the deep in the bowels of the federal government? Correct. And then the federal government sends the doctor some money? That's correct. Oh, sounds like a good gig. So, <laughs> um, all right, so... Uh, this, all this takes place, and you're saying it's part of the federal budget, so it's a lot of money involved. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of money. So it's $70 billion that Medicare pays to doctors every year. This amount of money is set by Congress. And uh, the reason why Medicare, Medicare is more important than just the money it pays to doctors. Uh, there's a large private insurance industry in the U.S., about half a trillion dollars, uh, that follows a lot of what Medicare does. So if a, Medicare pays you so much for to take out your gallbladder, uh, private insurance often follows that Medicare price, and Medicare is kind of this giant in the room that uh, leads a lot of the market. So you're saying that, okay, I'm not on Medicare, but because Medicare sets a price for how much my, they're going to pay the doctor to take out my gallbladder, my insurance company will also pay their my doctor the same price or something similar to it. Right. So so not exactly the same price, uh, but oftentimes private insurance takes what Medicare pays. So it's called a fee schedule. There's a whole list of things that doctors can do, and there's a price that Medicare will pay for each of these things. And oftentimes private insurance will just take that and multiply that by a certain amount, so maybe like 10% more than Medicare. Uh, but part of this research is actually private insurance doesn't always follow Medicare, uh, and that's kind of part of what we look at. Okay, so I was trying to get to that. So you 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 did research on on how Medicare pays doctors. Is yes, that right? we did research on how Medicare pays doctors. And even to take a step back, 
where does Medicare get its prices from? Uh, it's uh, many people know, not, though not all people. Uh, there is a very influential committee of, of, of physicians and other healthcare uh, uh, professionals uh, that is housed within the American Medical Association that makes Wait, American Medical Association. That's, yes. the, that's the group that represents doctors, right? Yeah. Are they an official government organization? They're not. So okay, they're, so they just represent doctors. They represent doctors. So it's an interesting setup here. Uh, and uh, you know, it's an interesting setup where Medicare needs to know how much to pay doctors, yet Medicare gets advice from a now, This really does sound doctors. like a good gig. So the doctors tell Medicare how much they should be paid. That's Well, the doctors advise Medicare on how much they should pay. And historically, Medicare follows this advice more than 90% of the time. So this group of, of, of doctors and other healthcare professionals uh, provides Medicare with information that's quite influential. Okay, so um, it seems like there's a lot of prices to set, right? You know, so I just, I use the gallbladder example, but like, what if I go see a doctor, tell like, I see a doctor because I, I think I have the flu. Doc, I've been, I've been sneezing for the last week. Do I have the flu? And the doc looks at me, says, no, go home. They send Medicare a bill, right? Right. And the, then Medicare pays the doctor the bill. Right. But shouldn't the doctor that gets does the gallbladder removal get paid more than the person who just told me to go home for the flu? Yeah, so this is kind of the fundamental problem. Uh, you know, intuitively, taking out of the gallbladder versus just seeing you for the flu uh, is more difficult. But how do you exactly price it to say that, you know, um, it's, you know, it should be four times more or five times more. And when we talk about four versus five, that's billions of dollars of, of spending. So it's a lot of money on the table. Uh, and so these are big decisions. We don't, actually don't know where, uh, you, know, exact, you know, exactly how much this should be paid. And this is why uh, the, the idea is that doctors have this information. We kind of somehow need to get this information from doctors. But what, what my friends in, in health policy tell me is that, uh, that people think specialists get paid too much. Is right, that true? Right. So this is kind of part of the question that we're asking in this paper. So the gallbladder guy gets right. paid more than he ought to? Is that is, is that, the is, gallbladder guy getting paid more than the primary care guy who's doing a, an office visit? And this has been not this is not a new question that we're asking. This question has been kind of echoed around for fifteen years, almost like twenty years ever since the inception of this committee, uh, twenty more than twenty years ago. And the idea is that you know we have a committee of about 20 to 30 kind of healthcare professionals. There are, you know, maybe two primary care doctors, uh, you know, historically, or two internal medicine doctors, one family medicine doctor, a pediatrician, versus uh, if you kind of look proportional to the population of doctors, there have been more specialists on this committee. And so people have been concerned that this committee is the reason that primary care doctors don't get paid enough uh, Wait, because no, they're on, underrepresented on. on this committee. Okay, so... Let me just set the picture so if I understand this right. So there's Medicare has to set all of these prices. How much you pay for an office visit, how much you pay for a gallbladder removal, all, for basically anything a doctor might do for you, mm -hmm. they have to set some price, right? Um, and um, they, they have a set of prices, and, and then they have a committee. What's the name of this committee? This committee is called the Relative Value Scale Update Committee, or the RVS Update Committee, the RUC, R-U-C. The RUC. The RUC. The RUC. It's known as the RUC. Awesome. So the RUC has to decide every year how each and every single price is going to get changed. The RUC doesn't have the bandwidth to to, re, to kind of reprice everything. So there's a mechanism that uh, that brings some procedures up for repricing, and the RUC is kind of um, 
this 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 body that that then recommends new prices for things that are repriced. So in in general, uh, the RUC considers about two hundred procedures a year for repricing. How, how uh, many? How many different this prices? This is this is out this is out of a total of more than five thousand. Um, so there's five thousand prices that the Medicare has, and the RUC looks at two hundred of them. That's that's right. And the RUC, right. and you said it it consists of people who are some specialists and some some primary care doctors. But people think there's too many specialists. Is that uh, people is that think that there's too many specialists, uh, and you know this is this is a zero sum game uh, because actually the RUC is not in charge of setting the overall budget for Medicare. That's Congress does that. Uh, instead, the RUC recommends to Medicare what's called relative prices or relative value units (RVUs), and these RVUs then dis determine how this overall pie of seventy billion dollars a year is divided amongst different doctors. Uh, so it's just a zero sum game, I and that's see. why you know. People are worried that there's not enough primary care doctors on this committee, and that's why primary care doctors aren't paid enough. So, so that like this, just for, you know, just to illustrate, so that the, the simplest thing a doctor does, Jay, go home, you're just sneezing, you're not actually that sick, that, that simple thing would be like one, and everything else is a multiple of that simplest thing. Is Correct. That right? That's right. That's right. Okay. Um, so you have this committee. Uh, it consists, it, it looks at 200 prices. How, how, does, how do those 200 prices get? Which out of those 5,000, how do they pick the 200 that they're going to work on every year? There is a variety of mechanisms. Uh, this is not really what the paper is about. Uh, there, oh, there... we're getting to that. Don't you worry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there, there's a variety of mechanisms. Uh, and some of it is through Medicare actually asks the RUC to value things. Uh, specialty societies can ask. Oh, specialty societies meaning kind of the si Society of Cardiologists or the Society of GI, you know, gastroenterologists. They can ask Medicare uh, that we think this should be revalued. That's another kind of mechanism. Uh, and um, also more recently, there are some objective triggers, for example, if a procedure is gaining in volume or it's done very frequently with another procedure, this can trigger something that would kind of make it be revalued. I see. Okay, so there's some process, either the, the uh, you know, like the, the, the Society of, of, uh, of gastro, uh, you know, Gastroenterologists says, look, you really ought to revalue this procedure because it's, it's out of whack. With, we're getting paid too little, probably, right? Mostly, to, they'd say. No, or if there's idea. like you know, some procedure becomes more and more popular, mm -hmm. they they automatically they, they, they somehow pick right. these two hundred. Exactly. Okay, so tell me about your. So you you looked at how of this when you look at those two hundred, mm -hmm. what what how do the how does this committee decide, um, and what influences what their decisions are regarding the updates and the prices, right? Yeah. So the key question that we're asking first is. Uh, does the composition of this committee determine the prices that are set? And to what degree does composition. it determine? Composition. What do you mean by composition? But, so this committee is, you know, 20 to 30 uh, members. Currently, I think there's 26 voting members. Uh, and so... Do you want to be a member of that someday? I, it sounds, seems like a lot of work. <laughs> okay. Uh, but basically, each, uh, each one of these seats is held by a specialty society. So it could be held by cardiology, which has... You know, some of these specialty societies have permanent seats. Other of these specialty societies have rotating seats. But essentially, the seats determine who is on this committee. And that would then determine, you know, how the committee votes, uh, you know, in, in, in theory. So, like, what, what happens is, like, when it's something needs to be repriced, uh, the specialty societies who do this procedure 
uh, will pr propose to this committee a new price. And this proposal is then com considered by this committee, and the committee will discuss this um, you know, with the specialty society that's proposing, and then they'll vote. Uh, so a two-thirds uh, vote yes will mean that they'll accept this new price, and if they don't accept it, then they'll kind of then go down on that price. So, so the non-specialists so will also vote on the specialist procedure. So for instance, uh, you know, a, 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 someone who, who's a, a society that just represents doctors that, that see uh, you know, patients in an outpatient setting for relatively healthy things, will vote on uh, on on uh, the gallbladder removal, even though that's conducted by surgeons. Right, right. So yeah, so it's it's, it's and vice versa too, right? And vice versa. So it's it's you know it's it's a committee that represents you know it's supposed to represent a breadth of specialties, but it only has twenty six voting seats, and so these you know each seat is very kind of is very meaningful. So what we're trying to do is then we're trying to ask. Suppose we had a committee full of cardiologists. Would they give the cardiologist kind of proposing uh, a higher price versus a psychiatrist that's proposing? And part of the difficulty is we need to kind of have some kind of measure of how do we kind of measure the connection between a psychiatrist and a ca cardiologist. So I'll leave that to the paper, but we basically have a way to try to link specialty societies. So if, like um, if a cardiologist sees a lot of depressed patients, you count them as linked. That's correct, okay. right. So it's not just the name of the specialty. We're asking what types of procedures are you doing oh, as a specialty? And so even if you have two different names, but you do the same procedures, then we'll say you're very linked. Right. Uh, that's and clever. that's how we can kind of make these linkages between uh, you know these specialties on the committee, as well as there are many more specialties that that are proposing. Uh, so there's okay, many well more. Now than I'm dying to know the answer. So like, do will a, will do psychologists vote for cardiologist procedures yeah. to like raise them up really high? Yeah. So the first interesting thing that we find is that internal medicine and family medicine, the things that are traditionally thought of primary care, they're very linked to many specialties. They do similar things as many of the subspecialties that are on uh, the committee. Uh, and so, and in fact, they also do similar things as some of the surgeons. So they have office visits, they have inpatient visits, uh, and interestingly, things that we didn't think were very, uh, would, would have been kind of isolated, uh, such as emergency medicine. Emergency medicine actually you know, you would think that emergency medicine doctors see a whole breadth of patients in the e emergency room, but it turns out that they have their own unique billing code, which is an emergency visit, and that kind of sets them apart from some of these other specialties. So the first part was just a descriptive. So there's a mapping. lot of linkages across. So uh, across the specialties you might not have expected. There are a lot of linkages support. across the specialties that you might not have expected, and many of the specialties share interests because they do similar procedures. So That's even though they have different names, and even though you might say a specialty is a you know procedural specialty and another specialty is a cognitive specialty these distinctions are very kind of fuzzy and actually the cognitive specialties have a lot in common with the procedural specialties oh. that's what we find so, so that's the first thing that we find uh, then we we look at whether you know having an affiliation or a, these linkages with the committee leads to higher prices we find yes it does what do you mean by linkage so this linkage again we, we have this measure this it's like a nerdy mathematical measure of uh, it's you know I can't believe it's, that you do that, David. It's, <laughs> it's in, you know, so we have some kind of vector space of procedures that one specialty does and another vector space of procedures that another specialty does, and we have this measure of how close those vectors are. And so basically we're asking if, if the, this measure of distance between specialties leads to higher prices or not. I see. So yeah. if you have a, a, a procedure that is really doesn't look like uh, a, 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 you know, some physician group would do it, but in fact, they're closely linked to a physician group that does it. Your question is, 
uh, will those groups, the, the, the ones that don't look like they're actually associated but are, mm -hmm. vote to ha increase the price more? Correct. Yes. And what's the answer? And the answer is yes. So that's not okay. terribly surprising. People, no, you know, a lot of people have suspected that. Uh, but I think part of the surprising kind of aspect of this is just mapping out the linkages. So like when you say yes, like how, how important is this? Right. So, so let's, let's take, you know, two, two procedures one completely unlinked and one, you know, just yeah. exactly linked. So I'm going to have to throw in some statistical words now, but basically if you go from the 10th percentile of linkage to the 90th percentile of linkage, you're going to increase prices by 17%. 17%. Yeah. So there's a distribution, there, there's basically a, some, some variation in, in terms of how specialties are linked with each other. And if you kind of go so from low to un high. Unlinked, so things that are completely unlinked to completely linked. To very so linked, the, that's right. That you're going to raise price, they'll raise the the vote to raise prices by about 17% more. Right. So that seems like a lot of well, money. Let's say, let's say let's say they just had a completely unbiased procedure. How how much money are we talking about roughly? Yeah, so so it's interesting because now it's like we have to talk about how some specialties gain and some specialties lose about like given this potential bias. And we also have to account for the fact that specialties are linked. So some specialties, you know, have and, and specialties have many different interests. So so you might gain on some procedures, but you might lose on some procedures. And if you do this kind of tallying up of things and you do the simulation, uh, about 1.9% of the Medicare budget would be redistributed if everything was completely re unbiased. Mm. If you kind of map this out into private insurance, this is like $13 billion a year oh, redistribution. So this is what you were saying earlier, which is that, okay, so Medicare changes these prices, then the private insurers all decide, okay, well, Medicare seems to know what it's doing. Let's Let's use... Medicare's price updates to update our prices. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll okay. get to that later. So tell tell me about that. So so yeah, so you know, so just to kind of wrap up the first thing, we find that like not as much money would be kind of redistributed as as we thought. And also surprisingly, primary care benefits from these linkages because primary care is quite linked to the specialists. Oh, that's interesting. So that's kind of the first set. And then then like we now ask, you actually, know, just just so yeah. just we can dwell on that for just a second. So that's actually a very surprising finding, right? right. So that in fact the rock helps primary care more in these updates more than one might expect because primary care is so linked to these Correct. these procedures. So primary care is actually a net beneficiary of this quote unquote bias. Okay. Um, and so so and and the other thing is like because primary care is already so linked, many of the recommendations for changing the RUC have included putting more primary care seats on the RUC. So we've kind of asked that question: What if we would to double or triple the number of primary care seats on the RUC? And we find that primary care would not get, uh, it would basically would only increase the revenue of primary care by about less than 1%. So because it's already so linked, if you add in more primary care seats, it doesn't change the linkages with the committee very much. That's, that's pretty interesting. All right, so now tell me about the, 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 the uh, other non-Medicare insurers that follow Medicare's price. Right, rates. so now we want to, so, you know, the, of course, the first question is like, is this committee biased? But, you know, I think from the government's perspective, the government cares about bias, but the government doesn't only care about bias. The government cares about getting prices right. And so... What, what do you mean by that? By so, yeah. So I think we need to distinguish bias from precision. Uh, so basically, by getting prices right means that you want to get the price that you set as Medicare, you want that to be as close to the price that you should set 
as possible. And that seems a very like a what very natural. Would say something like marginal cost of production or something. Right, or whatever your definition of how how you should price how it. How many hours I spend with the patient? Exactly. You want it. You basically, if something's difficult to do, and you know the way that you've set up the system is you want to price it according to how difficult it is to do, then you want to price those things higher, and you want to really get that information on how difficult it is to do. So getting that information is really the central concern of Medicare. And even if that information is biased, if that information is more precise, then Medicare wins right. and everybody wins because you're pricing according to how you should be pricing. All right. So how, how does it work out according to your So uh, So this is kind of harder to kind of look at, but we ask whether private insurance, how private insurance follows Medicare prices and whether it differs between kind of prices that are that originate from proposals that are quite linked to the committee versus proposals that are not linked to the committee. Uh, and the idea is that private insurance does not have to follow what Medicare does at all. Right, there's it often, no law, right? There's no law. Private insurance can do whatever it wants. Oftentimes, it does follow the committee. And we ask whether it follows the committee more often if, you know, if the prices that originates from, you know, from Medicare actually comes from one of these linked proposals versus an unlinked proposal. And we find that it follows to a much greater degree. So your idea is that if it makes sense to that it's more cl closely aligned with what the price ought to be they'll follow it if it doesn't make sense they're just doing it for no, you know some extraneous reason they right. won't follow it yeah and in fact what you find is they do follow it they do follow more if the right. prices are more if the if the proposals are more linked and of course there's many other reasons why they might want to follow proposals it. are more linked so if, in other words if the if the if the more representation you have on the committee and not, uh, not just the of the group itself but of closely aligned groups the more likely it is that the private insurers will follow the price price recommendation. That's right. That's right. That's so, interesting. So, what should we do with this? What's the next step in the you know, uh, after after uh, after this? Should should Medicare change how its representation works on the committee? Or it seems like uh, from what I'm hearing, it, it's it, it's going actually all right. Yeah. I mean, well, so I, I I mean, I think so. We we we're careful not to make you know strong policy recommendations. We're interested in studying. Um, you know, very, uh, you know, specific questions. First, does potent, is there potential bias in the committee decisions? And second, what's the quality of information? But we think that there might be some kind of general lessons that could be gained from policy. Um, so the first thing, I, I think that, you know, it reverses some of the commonly held assumptions that, you know, primary care is hurt by the committee. Uh, yeah, that you know, seems like one of the most surprising things. And we started with just the AMA's representation on this committee potentially as a source of, of you know, a bias, right? So that, that itself, doctors setting prices for, for, for themselves, uh, for what the Medicare pays, I guess economists call that regulatory capture. Right. Um, you're saying that that's not such a big concern in this setting as you might think, given your results. Given that interests are spread out and interests are kind of intertwined between groups, I see. that's a very helpful thing to have if you're concerned about regulatory capture. If you have... Basically, even the losers are connected kind of with the winners. Everybody's kind of in the same boat. They have very shared interests. Right. Um, and that's very intuitive. And what we found kind of looking at the procedures that these specialties do is that there are more linkages than you would have thought. And that primary care actually is more linked. You know, you know now that you think of it, I think it makes sense that primary so care is more words, linked. In other words, it's not a war of primary care docs against specialists inside Medicare. They're all together in one boat, and they're sort of making decisions that that makes sense for the for for uh, relative by this by the standard of what the yep. what the private market is uh, is, is doing as well, right? To some degree, yeah, to, some to some degree, degree yeah. and so you know, I yeah, again, you know, there might be ways to kind of bring more information into this, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, this is not kind of the domain of the paper, but if there were more 
uh, stuff that was observable about the procedure, then we wouldn't have to rely less on kind of gaining this very soft information from the committee. But the fact is that the world is full of soft information and a lot of stuff, important government decisions that need to be made are not kind of made based on observable data. We actually have to ask experts, you know, what they know about this. And this is like a perfect case of that. Right. Well, uh, I think we've uh, we've run out of time for today, but uh, that was a very interesting paper, David, and I want to enjoy the conversation. Thank you very much. All right. All right. You've been listening to World Class from the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford University. If you like this episode, please review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. And you can subscribe to stay up to date on what's happening in the world and why. <laughs>